Hello and welcome to the Spine Orthopedic and Pain Management Driven ASC plus the Future of Spine Becker's virtual event. My name is Laura Deirda and I'm Editor-in-Chief of Becker's ASC and Spine Reviews. I'll be your moderator today alongside this great panel of uh, ASC administrators and leaders to discuss uh, the managing your ASC during COVID-19, strategies, collaborations, closures, and more. We will be discussing the big staffing, supply, and policy and procedures issues for ASCs today, especially as many centers are resuming uh, elective procedures after the pandemic. Now I will turn over the panel to our panelists and allow them to introduce themselves. Uh, Deb, could you begin? Hi, my Hi. name is Deb Goodman. I am primarily an OR nurse who's risen through the ranks from charge nurse, clinical coordinator, up to administrator. Uh, my current center is primarily pain management. Um, during the COVID pandemic, we had a very low March, April, May started to pick up and we're getting back to more of our normal caseload going into June. So that's where we're at today. Good to know. Uh, Lisa, could you introduce yourself and where your center's at? Sure, my name is Lisa Cooper, and I'm also an operating room nurse by trade. I have a, a healthcare consulting company, Abacare um, Plus, and we manage a surgery center in Santa Cruz, California, a multi-specialty surgery center that's been open throughout the epidemic. Perfect, and Marjorie, do you introduce yourself in your center? Sure, hi, my name is um, Dr. Marjorie Belsky. I did an anesthesia residency at UC Irvine Interventional Pain Fellowship at UCSF. Um, I'm also starting law school in August. And my ASC is called West Sunset Surgery Center, also known as MECO, Minimally Invasive Center of Excellence. And it's in Las Vegas, Nevada. Fantastic. It sounds like you've got a lot going on. And so I think we'll have <laughs> absolutely. I'm excited for our discussion today. We've got a ton of expertise on the panel. And so you know, there's gonna be a lot of great topics and things we're gonna be discussing. Um, the first question I have is for all of the panelists. Um, and we'll begin with Deb and then Lisa and Marjorie, if you could chime in as well, that'd be great. Um, the first question is, what has been your biggest challenge during the pandemic? Uh, Deb, we'll have you go first. Well, when we're speaking of the pandemic, it's not just one thing that's difficult. It's difficulty with how the news is changing and how the disease is in your community and what responses you're having to make to that. Uh, making sure that your staff is staying aware of what our current practice and process is going to be. Making sure that policy changes and education, you're staying up to date with all of your staff. Um, you have some staff that just do not want to come in and work at this point, um, educating your patients. That has become a much easier because people now, at least in our area, are getting more used to having a mask on and having to wait in their car. They're experiencing that if they have doctor's appointments or hair salon appointments that just started opening up in our area. So um, one of the biggest problems is PPE. Um, I just got an update from Cardinal Health and things haven't changed too much. It's getting those supplies is still gonna be difficult and you're reaching out to different vendors than what you normally use. 
Got it. That's very helpful insight. Um, Lisa, do you have anything to tag on there? I'm sure you're experiencing some of the same issues and, and trends, but um, what else are, are you looking at at your center? Well, I think it's, it's kind of going on from the news comment. You know, it seems like it's trying to accept right now that we're needing to provide care in the unknown. And on the, on the CDC site right now, it, it says that it's thought to spread, right, through close contact from person to person. And it goes on to say we're still learning how the virus spreads and the severity of the illnesses. So we still don't know what we don't know. And, you know, it reminds me of a time, my, my dad is a retired orthopedic surgeon and he used to talk to me about when he first got his profession in the 1960s. And at that time, a lot of common medical equipment that we have now, like the MRI, wasn't even invented. And then when it was invented, uh, it, it wasn't read, uh, widely available. So pharmaceutical formula was a short list of drugs that could be used. And so often he said there was nothing that he could do but sit next to his patient and, and hold his hand and say a prayer. So while we're fortunate right now that I think we're learning more every day, the biggest challenge is knowing that what we might learn tomorrow might change the practice that we're doing today or even negate the efforts that we're making. So what we've done to kind of address that is put in bold print in our COVID policy is that this is our policy and our practice at the time this policy was enacted, but there's updates every day. So please see the nursing communication book for the most update information. So I think the biggest challenge right now is that we just can't keep up. Got it. That all makes sense. Dr. Belsky, um, any thoughts from you as well? Yes, to build those comments. I, we have also had PPE challenges, of course, because you have to get on this supply list and then keep ordering from the supply list. And then I was sitting there discussing with my admin one day and my sterile tech who does the ordering came in and he's like, well, when I texted you this morning, the gowns were $5. He's like, then they went to seven and now they're 10. What do you want to do? I'm like, I really need to respond a lot quicker to you. So the, one of the problems is fluctuating prices companies take advantage of this probably as they should from a business perspective but I found that I have to really pay attention to all my texts and emails and communicate with our tech that's doing the orders because prices are fluctuating so quickly that was one problem the other problem was really whether to open or close I weighed the pros for keeping open which was keeping surgeons happy keeping staff happy and keeping my business partner happy because he's a spine surgeon and he felt he had some cases but we ultimately closed because the pros to closing were the patient started canceling. Like the week we closed, I called my partner. I said, is your patient still going? He's like, I don't know. I said, let me call the center. Well, that patient canceled. I said to the center, how about my patients? Your patients canceled. And um, yeah, then our state regulations came out. Our medical board's not really the nicest of medical boards. And um, they had a very harsh letter about no elective procedures. And I don't really know exactly what they consider an elective procedure or not as a legal term. So that was the second reason I thought it might be good, you know, to close. And then I had to do a lot of restructuring within my center. I think it was somewhat neglected by myself and my partner, um, our personal duties during the year, and we'll discuss it later on, but I use this as an, as an opportunity to get a lot done. Absolutely, making the best of that time during the pandemic. Um, I know, as you mentioned, that's something that we'll touch on a little bit later in the panel. Uh, Lisa, I wanna direct the next question to you. Could you talk a little bit about your approach in resuming surgical procedures um, especially when it comes to the PPE and the COVID-19 testing. I know we've touched on it a little bit so far, but 
especially as you're looking at, um, you know, what you need to do, what kind of alternatives you need to get for the PPE, and then, um, you know, how to access some of the, the COVID-19 testing. Um, I'd love to hear about your tactics there. Um, well, we, we decided not, not to close. So I understand, and there's a lot of, there is the pros and cons and the lists were long on both ends. Um, we did decide to stay open. So we had been doing cases all along, uh, urgent, emergent cases at quite a significant financial loss. I feel for us, it ended up being a wise move because what it allowed us to do is throw the volumes were slow. So in this center, we did normally over 70 cases a week and now we are doing, you know, six to 10 cases. Um, we were able to define and refine our processes and procedures. So when our county ended up opening up, um, we were able to really fine tune those processes. So the first thing we did do was secure our PPE. Um, we changed our policy for our medical records keeping. So our medical records uh, room that's in the business office and secured, uh, we, we removed a, a several months of records out to make room for the PPE and we put wipes, masks, gloves. I mean, for a period of time, we even had toilet paper in there. I was so paranoid that things were just gonna start to, to walk <laughs> off. And, you know, it's not just your staff that might have the sticky fingers. I mean, you got physicians, you know, you got cleaners, you got vendors. Um, you know, my sister's a nurse at a physician's office, and, and she said that, that people were going in the treatment room and when left unobserved, were grabbing wipes and stuff and putting them in their purse. So, I mean, the, the fact is employees and, and physicians and all of us, you know, we could have loved ones in, a, in, a, in an area that's severely impacted and to want to send them life-saving supplies. Um, you know, it's easy to justify that immoral act of stealing when you're looking at it as for um, perceived, you know, greater good. So I think to eliminate the, 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 uh, the desire or the temptation is we did put everything behind locked and key. And so I would really suggest uh, securing your supplies if you have not already. The other thing we did is, is we reached out to other areas. And so we had a couple contacts that had some close friends in, in China and we were able to get a thousand masks within a few weeks of the epidemic. And we're still use, utilizing those masks to the, to the day right now. So that's really helped us. It's amazing reaching out uh, and people were able to help. Uh, so one of the other things we did just because of financial strain we were having, uh, we reached out to the local foundation. I mean, we are for profit, but you know, I mean, we're still healthcare providers on the front line. Everybody's wanting to do something. We got $2,000 donated for this DoorDash so that we could provide meals for our staff during those initial few weeks when it was just really chaotic to get food. We didn't want any staff to have to be bringing food in. Um, so we did the normal things I think most people did is, you know, removed all our furniture in the lobby, had three there, um, protocol to wipe down the chair after they sat there. And then we thought, why the heck haven't we been doing this all along? I mean, they're sitting there, we wiped the gurney, we wiped this. And so certain things that we're learning right now, I think that we, we actually will, um, you know, could carry on for our new practices. The testing process though, um, now we're right, right back to working in the unknown. I mean, we have a protocol that everyone's to be tested and we're working with a large lab that has a defined turnaround time, but we are finding that we're still getting 6% of the test results aren't coming back. And so we're checking at midnight to the, you know, the, the lab portal to see are they back or not back. And for those patients at 6%, um, we move forward with our protocol for caring for patients that um, are positive a possible positive. Uh, so, you know, emitting and discharging in the actual room, the procedures in N95 for everybody. Uh, but there's certain, there's been a couple of cases the physicians have decided to cancel. 
Um, but certain ones like a colonoscopy after they had a prep, I mean, you know, it just is not the right thing to do. So um, in the instances where we don't have the results, um, they have come back negative. And so, but moving forward with a procedure, not knowing if they're negative or positive is again, working in the unknown and a great, great challenge. So I think one of the things to do is make sure you have a protocol that if you have testing in place, what is your practice for when you don't get the results back? Absolutely, a lot of considerations there. Thank you for going through that with us, Lisa. Uh, Deb, I wanted to connect with you on this topic as well. Um, how, you know, how is your center dealing with the PPE and potential supply shortages? What are you seeing there? Well, um, I, <laughs> I do a weekly inventory check on PPE. I've sequestered supplies similar to what Lisa did. Um, we're in the day and time, which we kind of learned this before, even before COVID happened, you can't have several rolls of toilet paper in a public bathroom because some people feel it's there for them to take. So uh, we only have the very bare minimum supplies out around inpatient care areas. Um, we had a patient that tried to walk out with a bunch of our exam gloves stuffed in her pocket and exam gloves are like gold right now. And um, we kindly um, asked her why, you know, she felt the need for that. And she said, well, they were there. And I said, they are there for us to use. I said, now you have them on your person, please take them. But I, I just, it's very interesting in this time how people feel if it's there that they can take it. Um, right now, I had my weekly update with Cardinal I did not think I was gonna get any sterile gowns for several months, but all of a sudden they showed up today. So today was an awesome day for us. If next week I can have sterile uh, surgery gloves show up, I will be even more happy. Um, we've kind of modified our process. Um, we're not, we're just trying not to use the sterile gloves as much as possible and we're still following good technique. We're just being more thoughtful about the use of our supplies. And so everybody all around has been very much on board with it because when I sequestered everything and they saw exactly what our, our backup supply was, they understood there, there didn't need to be a lot of discussion. Um, and I have pulled in several different vendors that we don't normally uh, deal with, so. That is life. It's like when I get an email and somebody says something, I kind of investigate that company to make sure they're real. And then I reach out to them to see what it is they have. Absolutely, great advice for, for these times. I know Lisa, do you have a real quick tag on before we jump over to Dr. Belsky for my next well, question? Funny, with, the toilet, with the toilet paper, what we ended up doing is creating, I always like goodie bags. I don't know if they're politically correct anymore for birthday parties, but I'm doing them. So anyway, we created a goodie bag for discharge and we actually communicated it at pre-op. And so that way, hopefully it stopped the sticky fingers of the patients, but we put um, a Purell in there, a mask in there, and then also a roll of toilet paper. And it, it really got a lot of longevity and 
especially for those GI cases. So it was one, it was one way to handle it, and we're continuing to do it. Although we took away the toilet paper because it's not quite such a hot commodity anymore, but we are doing the Purell, and we have an order in to get them logoed, which I guess is going to be you know 2022 before that gets placed. But anyway, I just wanted to to share that. Great. Um, yeah, I, I think a, a fantastic tactic. Um, switching gears here just a little bit, uh, Dr. Belsky, I would love to um, connect with you a little bit more about how you, after you were um, resuming elective procedures, how did you use the time uh, during the pandemic to make changes at the business? I know we alluded to that earlier. Um, you know, what were the changes that you made and what are you expecting for the future? Okay, so this was a little more owner-directed, but I, different because I had to close my center. That was the ultimate decision myself and my partner made. We actually had two quarters where we'd been severely downtrending. So I knew I had to make some changes. COVID coincidentally came at that time. So I hired an HR company that really would help me with staffing. I realized I needed an admin who was also a DON, and especially during COVID, this has worked out great. I ended up replacing my admin with an admin DON. I had her start when we reopened, and she's that has been really, really helpful in the COVID pandemic as far as she's able to also manage what we need, what we don't need. Um, I personally kept in touch with the surgeons weekly to see when they wanted to come back. I called their managers, I called their offices. I spent every Monday with marketing for a couple hours with my business partner, and that's been great. We really pushed them to get a local marketer for us, and we picked up three new surgeons since we reopened. We spent uh, at least one day a week going through our P&Ls, like our profit and loss statements. We found so many things that we should have been looking at. We reduced contracts like Amnio by 20%. We realized Amnio doesn't pay on Cigna. I realized my laundry, we were ordering 61 extra small scrubs every week and we probably need 10. So we worked really hard on that. I worked with my medical director because we kept him on the whole time, obviously legally. We worked on all our CRNA documentation because we're not an independent state. And so some physicians want them, some don't. So we worked really hard on this. And I read all my employee contracts. I know all their vacation times and all the higher fire issues. So I'm up on this. I spent at least two days every week going through collections in AR and I worked really hard on collections. So we stayed above things. I think we collected and sold whatever we could. And then lastly, finally, we got an SBA loan. I mean, that was a big part of it. So we got the loan right about when we opened on 427 and that loan, I know most people have it now, but it really does take a while to acquire. We had to go through the process at least twice, and I spent at least two or three days on paperwork on that. So in the end, I think my prediction based on current is that our third quarter will be 100% better in revenue. That I'm sorry, our second quarter will be 100% better in revenue than our first quarter based on some things I probably should have been doing all along. But COVID helped me. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for going through all that. That's, you know, so interesting. It's such a great use of time. I want to stick on the staffing uh, train of thought for a little bit. Um, Deb, you know, what challenges are you experiencing now uh, with staffing as you're ramping elective surgeries back up? Um, and have you made any changes to your staffing model since before the pandemic hit? 
So the big change, uh, the staffing model is that um, I'm working back in the OR every day that we have cases and that leaves my charge nurse and one other nurse to be in recovery room doing the admitting discharge. And then we have another third nurse that comes in when we have over a certain number of cases. So um, I've always worked in there off and on, um, but now I'm, <laughs> I'm in there every day. So that lessens the number of people that we have to bring in. And um, one of the things that I just went through is um, I have two nurses that have agreed to come back starting next week. So I went through their files um, to make sure that my TB testing was up to date, what competencies they still needed to get done and putting together the information packet so that when they come in, any changes that we've made, they're um, up to date on. So um, that's where staffing is for me right now. Um, I know some places, they kind of used it for the good. There might have been some employees that they were on the fence about. I know my sister center, um, they're having a stresses where they have people that do not want to come back to work because they liked not working and getting their unemployment. Um, I was really blessed that my full-time people, we just cut hours. We really didn't have to get rid of any lay anybody off. I don't say get rid of, but we didn't have to lay anybody off. We were blessed that we had a nice tight group to begin with. Um, just getting people comfortable to come back to your center. And um, that I think is the biggest challenge. For us, school is over. So e-learning right now is not an issue for us, <laughs> which all of my nurses were very happy they've decided that um, they would not like to be teachers. Absolutely, another career that definitely takes people who have a certain calling to work with kids and students. Um, fantastic. Well, Lisa, I want to turn over to you now. Um, I know depending on the nurse's career and life stage, their needs can be different at this time. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk about how you're balancing some of the different generation generational needs for nurses um, in your, at your center post-pandemic? Oh, post-pandemic. Oh, wouldn't that be great? It's like Louis Armstrong word. It's like, what a wonderful world comes to lying. There's going to be a post-pandemic. I love it. Um, you know, we had a lot of different reactions. Uh, it hit everybody a bit differently. Those early in their careers were just wanting to work. They wanted to work. They wanted to continue. They were just learning. They were looking on flights to New York. How can they help them? Looking in other counties that were more affected. Uh, you know, the unemployment hit us hard. Uh, you know, we had some unemployment challenges. I had one nurse asking if I could change the dates of the bonus that we gave because it was affecting her unemployment. And so it's like, it's kind of like you're doing not, right? It's like you can't win in certain circumstances. Um, those that had little ones at home had a lot of challenges. I mean, it was very difficult. Daycares were closing, uh, you know, trying to teach in this. Any bill that comes to me right now to ask for a raise for teachers, I'm yes. I don't care what it says, how much it is. It's a yes. It's just, it has been so challenging for folks to try to do homeschooling and take care of patients and be called in. I mean, because although, again, we had 80% of our staff in unemployment, we still were doing cases. So we still needed nurses to come in. 
those in their later career, you know, what I heard from them is that, you know, it's really hard to social distance. I mean, a lot of people, work is their family, family is there, and not being able to see them on a day-to-day -day basis. And then when they can see them, it's just a splattering of them. It's not the whole team feeling. Uh, we ended up doing Zoom calls for that uh, so that we can try to get everybody to see their face. We had a baby reveal party because somebody was expecting a baby. She knew already. I mean, she didn't find out on the work call, but we all found out what it was. We had a goat come. You can have a goat come visit your Zoom. Anything to kind of lighten the mood and try to get people together. But as the pandemic has gone on, um, certainly the needs have changed. And now that we're open for elective surgery, what I, we're finding is, is, is similar to what Deb was saying, is people want different things. Those that are per diem are wanting more hours. They need to make up for what they lost. Um, some that are, you know, benefited full time found out that they just cannot balance it, that they need to go down. Of our four manager positions, only one remains in a managerial position, and even that position has changed. So, um, but the good news is right now, you know, with people wanting to have less hours, it's certainly an employer's market as we build back up. I think there's a lot of nurses out there that want jobs. It's a perfect time to make a change. If you are a nurse, you know, if you haven't had a job for a while, it's just like, there was a pandemic, that's why. You know, no, so it, it's a, it, it is, I think, a good situation for healthcare right now. I think we're lucky right now that we can accommodate every request that we've received for change of position. But I think asking the question and not making assumptions, I was surprised when I asked the questions to the managers candidly. I, I didn't know two or four were say that they want to change, but they did. That's a great point. And thank you for going through all of that with us. I want to switch gears here one more time. Um, Dr. Belsky, could you talk a little bit with us about how the policies and procedures have changed at your center since the pandemic began? And then Deb and Lisa, if you want to quickly take it on this as well, we can do that before we wrap up. Um, but Dr. Belsky, I'd love to hear from you. Okay, so interestingly, we talked about the PPE, really staying on top of the PPE, staying on top of the ordering. If the gowns come in at a good price, the mask comes in at a good price that day, buy it immediately and get on the regular supply list, even if it costs more money, we're stockpiling. Um, Secondly, we have screening, so we're following what AAAHC recommends within Nevada, which is a screening questionnaire and then taking everybody's temperature. You know, I'm in several like female pain physician blogs online. Some of them were using special consents. I read through the consents, extra COVID consents carefully with my medical director and my partner. We ultimately chose not to use it. We felt that our regular consent encompassed it what was in some of these consents and it was just our legal decision not to use a special COVID consent. But that's an interesting point because a lot of centers are using special legal COVID consents. I got copies of them online and they're interesting. Absolutely, the, you know, so much to consider since these changes have happened. Um, Deb or Lisa, do one of you want to chime in here if there's any other things you want to tag in for this? Um, so we don't have a special COVID consent, but we do have um, the assessment questionnaire, which starts on our pre-op call. Um, we, we decided it's much better to start that conversation on the pre-op call um, because we've had patients that had recently traveled to areas that were in the growing um, reporting areas and um, took that to our medical director and he just asked for those patients to quarantine themselves for 14 days. Um, there's, 
as Lisa stated earlier, everything changes. Some people want nine days, some people want 14. We just went to 14. Um, policies, that was the one good thing with things being slow. It gave me a lot of time to do a lot of policy updates due to regulatory changes that had already happened. Um, and then I just, as Lisa spoke, I'm, I keep changing my uh, pandemic, my COVID pandemic response addendum in my infection control policy. That was a whole big wordful, but you know, that's the arena that we're in. I mean, my county um, just, we hadn't had any deaths for like two days. And then yesterday we had 10 more additional deaths. So, um, and in all honesty, I don't totally believe the reporting because everybody's seen all the stuff on the news where sometimes people just aren't reporting everything that there is. And um, again, I think the only good thing is, is that at least in our area, our patients are not giving us a lot of grief about wearing a mask. Um, they're not being upset that we're asking them these COVID questions. And um, they actually say, when we say, well, your, your driver will need to wait in the car. Oh, that's no problem. <laughs> so I, I'm like, this is such a big change from how it was at the beginning of May for us in our area. Everybody kind of gets it here. So I don't know how everybody else is, but for us, I think the good news for us is that we're right outside of Chicago and they saw how shuttered a busy city like Chicago is. When they saw all of that, I think they understood it a little bit better. Great, and then we have time for one more quick question. Um, briefly, Dr. Belsey, we'll start with you and then go to Lisa and Deb. Um, but where do you see in 30 seconds your center being one year from now? What do you think will be the same and what do you think will be different? I think the COVID policy will still be in place until there's a vaccination available. So I think we'll still be doing temperatures. I think we'll still be doing screenings and I think we'll still be stocking PPE. But personally, my center, I think it will have higher volume. I think it will have better contracts and I think it will be a better year overall for my center personally. Is that me next? I can't remember, sorry. Um, well, I really hope we are in post-pandemic a year from now. You know, I mean, when you look at like the HIV and AIDS, its peak was eight years uh, that it had. The Asian flu was two years. I mean, go back to like, I looked it up. It's the, one of the longest and the deadliest was like 541 and the plague of Justini, it's called. And it, wrapped, it, it wiped out half a year, 25 million. But I think the thing is we've come a long way since 541. So where we are from now, I, I really hope that we have a vaccine and that we're dealing with a new normal post-pandemic. And I think that we'd be dealing with a new normal where we now have the whole population that is infection control experts. And so I think that we're going to find that we're going to have less cases of the flu. I think that people are more educated. They understand more why you need to do different things and be compliant as a patient because of the ramifications that if you're not. 
um, I think, I'm hoping that the pricing of PPE actually that is being gouged right now with the pricing, but it's actually going to go down because there's so many people that are getting into the medical supply market. So my hope is that uh, we're going to have um, some businesses that are going to um, like lower the costs of medical supplies, and that would be a big win. So that's what I hope. Um. I'm going to hope, like Lisa, that we're going to be in a most more post-pandemic. Um, right now, I just want to get through flu season, and once we see how that, <laughs> I will feel better um, on our chances. I think that we could all use this as good education. Um, all of us have, at least in the Midwest, we have that can-do attitude. Oh, I've got the sniffles. I'll be fine. I'm just going to go in to work anyway. And I think all of us have had to rethink those thoughts. Um, I think that we need to be more respectful. I think our patients are going to be more respectful. Um, I've actually had patients say, oh, you know, I, I think I've had like the sniffles, but I think it's just my allergies. But you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to hold off. And you would never hear that two months ago. Like if they wanted something done, they were going to come in. And um, I just think we have to all use this in a positive way and, and learn and grow from it. That's my hope. Well, absolutely. I think all of those sound like definitely a, a great thoughts and hopefully we'll get there um, a year from now or not too long after. Well, thank you all for joining this panel today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and look forward to uh, connecting with you all again in the future.